It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, now if you want a happy meal, you might be even happier if you don't have to talk to an actual person. I'm seeing a news item here saying McDonald's is looking into artificial intelligence uh, for its drive through system. You know, you're sitting in the car, you're like the fourth car online, you just want to get your Big Mac and get your fries and get out of there. And, you know, you got to talk to the person. And I'm sorry I didn't hear that. So according to this story, voice recognition software could help speed up ordering. Uh, but there's a little problem that's being tested uh, in this story at 10 branches in Chicago. I guess that's the test market. But this AI service is only 85% accurate. And then the other 15% of the time, some kid has to come out say, I'm sorry, we screwed up the order. You wanted two fries. I gave you only one fries. So that's according to CNBC. We'll see if this is popular enough. I mean, look, half the time now I go to a supermarket and I got to, um, you know, put my own groceries on the scanner because there's not enough cashiers. So they kind of force you to do that. Either you could wait on the line with, you know, seven people who've got a cart bulging with stuff or you can take out your 10 items and go beep, beep, beep. And figure out how much you pay. And half the time, you know, it doesn't take the credit card. There's a problem with the bill. You have to look up how much the fruit is so that it can be weighed. You know, more and more, I guess, the whole idea for all these establishments is to reduce the number of staff they have to pay by shifting the burden more to you and me, the consumer. Um, I guess we'll all get used to it. I mean, one time it was weird to go to a bank and not have to talk to a teller and you just stick a card in and you get money out. Which reminds me... Uh, over the weekend, I went to an Amazon four-star store. Was it was at the mall? Wasn't quite sure what it was. I figured it's just it's kind of a juiced-up bookstore, but that's not what it was at all. It was one of the weirdest experiences I've had in the sense that there was a bunch of books there, but it was all the whole conceit of the store was that um, these were items that were trending on Amazon in your like fifty-mile area. So it was the weirdest eclectic combination of home appliances. There was a bed there you could buy. There was um, a mirror. Uh, there was you know, little kids games and stuffed animals. Uh, just on and on and on. Like nothing had to do with anything else. It wasn't like you would say to yourself, I'm going to go to the Amazon store. And I'm going to get X. So you just kind of go in there as an interesting experience and then buying anything. But it's just so weird that the trending notion was what determined what was on the shelves. And there were also, you know, you could buy an Echo, you could buy electronic equipment, you could buy, you know, um, the AirPods. So if you knew what you wanted and you knew the store had it, I think there were some good deals because I noticed on one thing it said, you know, the price was, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars if you were an Amazon Prime member. But $1,000 if you weren't, okay, well, that's an incentive to join Prime. That's always what all this stuff is about for Jeff Bezos. All right, rambling on here on this Friday. I hope you have a good weekend coming up. hope you have a chance to see Media Buzz Sunday, 11 Eastern on the Fox News channel. Hey, did you see this Mike Pence speech yesterday? The only thing I can conclude is he's running. And I don't just say that because he's speaking to a Republican group up in New Hampshire. You know, everybody knows that for four years, the former vice president tried with every fiber of his being to be loyal to Donald Trump. He didn't disagree with Trump publicly, and there were never any leaks about 
Pence is mad at Donald Trump until January 6th, 2021, the day of the Capitol riot, when uh, someone in this mob were uh, waving gallows and chanting, hang Mike Pence. And the Secret Service had to hustle Pence and his family to safety under uh, the Capitol Rotunda. Uh, and it was an awful day. And even after that, and while this was going on, Donald Trump was still tweeting about he was uh, disappointed in Pence for not challenging the election results. And it caused a breach. It's a breach that Pence hasn't talked about until yesterday when he called that a dark day as he recounted the Capitol riot. And he said, President Trump and I have spoken many times since we left office. And I don't know if we'll ever see eye to eye on that day. That's called opening a little distance, a little daylight. It is the first thing that the former vice president of the United States, who would obviously like to run in 2024 if Trump doesn't, has said to indicate uh, that he is unhappy with his ex-boss. We'll never see eye to eye on that day. And he proceeded, and he went on to say, I'm proud of what we accomplished for the American people. He also said the Democrats are, and the media, their allies in the media are using one tragic day to discredit the aspirations of millions of Americans. It doesn't matter. The key thing is what he's trying to do is not tick off the millions and millions of Trump voters who would rebel against Pence if they saw him as being disloyal and at the same time signal that he's not a robot, that he has feelings, that he knows what happened, uh, that he knows that his life was in danger, uh, and that he's not happy, although he doesn't say that in so many words, with the actions of Donald Trump. Uh, Let's get serious here. You know, I am just going to tear my hair out if I have to read one more story about the infrastructure talks between President Biden and the Republicans. Not that it's not important. And so much money is at stake. And the very future of bipartisanship, maybe the very future of American democracy itself. But it goes on forever and they never reach a deal. As regular listeners of this podcast know, I am a pessimist when it comes to Congress reaching a deal on anything. Because you look at the last, I don't know, bunch of administrations, I don't think there's been a real big bipartisan deal since the Clinton administration. You know, you could point to uh, Bush got his Medicare prescription drug price package and Obama had a deal on tax cuts in his term. But by and large, except for the one big bill a president tends to get in the beginning of his first term, you know, they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk and there's so many things that can go wrong. So you can tell that Biden really wants a bipartisan deal in this. And in fact, I think he wants it so much, not just because he ran on unity and reaching across the aisle and all that. I think he, you know, he's a creature of the Senate. We know that. But I don't think he has the votes to do all that much on his own. I mean, it may well end up being one of these party line reconciliation, 50 Democrats and Kamala versus all the Republicans. But you do have to give them credit for trying, except... It's always like the media always fall into the trap. Okay, they, they met again, and there's this new glimmer, and members are talking about the possibility. And then, you know, an hour later, the air goes out of the balloon. So here's a Washington Post story. Uh, when Biden met uh, on Wednesday with the Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito, uh, he signaled, it's a pretty big concession, although whenever you peel the onion on these things, it's not as big as it seems. Pretty big conception because one of, you know, they're, they're far apart in the numbers, okay? Biden was at $2 trillion, now he's at $1 trillion. The Republicans are actually at about $250 billion in new spending because it, it turns out 
you can't just say, well, they want to spend X and the other side wants to spend Y. It's all about how much is existing spending, how much is new spending. There's so many ways to sort of hide the ball. In any event, the one, what seemed to be a bottom line for this Democratic president and his party was that they were going to use a corporate tax increase to pay for infrastructure and other stuff and, and possibly in the next bill as well. So, you know, Biden campaigned on this. And, you know, you know, probably even know the numbers by now. For a long time, the capital gains rate for corporations, 35%. Donald Trump was able to slash it all the way down to 21%. Mitch McConnell loves that 21%. Biden figured he'd split the difference, 28%. lower than it was before, not as low as it became under Trump. Republicans don't want to do this. And I always felt that the deal would fall apart on that. Well, now, in this latest meeting with the GOP, the president is saying... Well, maybe we'll take this uh, capital gains tax hike off the table so we can reach a compromise, according to a person familiar with the talks. Um, but he still wants to raise the tax rate, but he'll do it in some other bill. So it's always like a kind of a shell game. Well, we, you agree with this over here, and then we do this other bill. Maybe we push that through on a party line vote. But it, it did seem like something that might change the logjam. So... How do you get the money then to pay for it rather than just borrowing more and, you know, fueling inflation and all that? So in these latest talks, Biden said, well, you know what? I got this other proposal I've always kind of liked. A minimum corporate tax of 15 percent. Now, that sounds super low, but that would be imposed on companies that don't pay any tax at all or very, very little. And every year there's a story of and Amazon has been in that uh, category um, more than once. Uh, so in other words, it's an attempt to close the loopholes. It's like, an, it's like an alternative minimum tax for corporations. Now, whatever is the projection by the Treasury, how much money this would bring in, um, they'll find ways to get around it. I mean, they may pay more, but they're not going to pay a whole lot more. But anyway, we, it's a face-saving device because Congress can claim, hey, we paid for this. We're closing these loopholes. These big companies are going to pay their fair share. And it doesn't often work out that way. So this looked like an attempt, as the Washington Post puts it, to thread a delicate needle aimed to preserve the president's 2020 campaign pledge not to raise taxes on Americans making under 400 k a year, but steering clear of the red line, what is this, nuclear arms race? The red line set down by Republicans who see the 2017 tax cuts under Trump as their crowning achievement. And they're going to meet again today. McConnell is saying, oh, we're still hoping we can come to an agreement on a fully paid for infrastructure package, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so I finished reading the story, and then, you know, like 20 minutes later, I'm online. I see a political headline, GOP box at Biden's revised infrastructure plan. So, like, it didn't even last an hour, you know. It's always, you know, somebody, other reporters call up lawmakers, and they say, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, we'll probably walk away. So Politico says Senate Republicans doubt they can offer enough new spending. I mean, they, Biden still wants to spend four times as much as the GOP. Now, you think it's pretty popular. Roads, bridges, tunnels, airports, ports. They're even thrown in broadband, but not a lot of the other stuff that doesn't meet the strict traditional definition of infrastructure. Boy, little did we know when we elected Biden that every week would be infrastructure week. That was the old joke on the Trump. All right, so they don't think they can spend enough. They may go a little bit higher anyway. Uh, Capito says she's going to come back with a new offer, but you know, uh, they're about $750 billion apart. So here's what's really going on, in my view. This is all about 
each side maneuvering, knowing full well this is probably not going to happen, to blame the other side. Republicans say, look, we tried to be bipartisan. We met with him 75 times. We raised our offer. We, we listened to him on the taxes. And we couldn't get it done because, you know, they're just a big spending party. Biden and the Democrats now can go to Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, and say, look, did everything we could. We came down from $2 trillion to $1 trillion. We even backed off on the corporate tax hike. And these people aren't serious. They never wanted to do business. And now we're going to push it through on reconciliation. And that's probably what will happen. But I think I read that the Senate parliamentarian, this unknown, unelected person who gets to decide when you can use that sort of, you know, pull the emergency fire lever, uh, says that the Biden and Democrats can only use that reconciliation, the one-party, you know, budget plan, only one more time. It's either this year or in this Congress. So they better use it wisely because they can't come back with their other trillion-dollar plans and use it again, and that could, could well doom them. So that's the latest on infrastructure. For those of you who are still awake, let me move on to a story involving Donald Trump. Well, we spoke yesterday on the podcast, and this is, uh, you know, now made it into a big TV story. It's a big web story about how a single tweet by Maggie Haberman of the New York Times set off this S-storm because she said, uh, talking to her sources, that Donald Trump is telling some of his allies that he is floating the idea that he could be back in the White House, not in 2024, by August, sometime over the summer. And, you know, of course, Democrats are going crazy over this. And I, I have to, you know, stop and full stop, period. That's not going to happen. There's nothing in the law. There's nothing in the Constitution that says it can happen. Uh, the Washington Post followed up. I mentioned that yesterday. Well, maybe Biden was just musing about this. Maybe he was just repeating stuff that he had heard uh, from Sidney Powell, his former lawyer, who's in the middle of a big lawsuit over the voting machine stuff she said herself, of my pillow ace Mike Lindell. Uh, you got Mike Flynn talking about a coup, which he now is backtracked on or denied. But nevertheless, it's a big story. So along comes Charles W. Cook, big conservative writer for National Review. Uh, this is not Charlie Cook, the, the election pundit. And he's got a piece up on NR, the headline of which is, Maggie Haberman is right. And the reason this is significant to me is that, you know, National Review does a lot of criticism of the liberal media, being in bed with Biden and all that, even though it's a magazine that certainly has taken on Donald Trump uh, over what it sees as core conservative principles. And even though it's turned more negative against Trump ever since um, the election, the attempt to block the certification, the January 6th riot and all of that. For Charles Cook to come out and write this piece, I think tells you that it is not only crazy liberal media Trump haters who believe this story. In fact, Cook uh, starts out by saying many figures on the right, when they heard this, inserted their fingers into their ears and started screaming about fake news. I'll just note here that Donald Trump has been, and his spokesman at least, have been offered the chance to deny this story, has not, have not denied it. Okay. Instead, they should have listened, says Cook, because Haberman's reporting was correct. I can attest from speaking to an array of different sources. So here's a guy coming from the right talking to his sources, that Donald Trump does indeed believe, quite genuinely, that he, along with former Senators David Perdue and Martha McSally, who both lost in their states, Georgia and uh, Arizona, will be, quote, reinstated to office this summer after audits 
of the 2020 elections in Arizona, Georgia, and a handful of other states. I can attest too, says Charles Cook, that Trump is trying hard to recruit journalists, politicians, and other influential figures to promulgate this belief, not as a fundraising tool or an infantile bit of trolling or a trial balloon, but as a fact. Now, this is interesting to me because of who Cook is and where he's coming from. Because I would have thought, look, you know, he gets to stir the waters. He drives his enemy crazy, own the libs, helps him raise money, helps him be a factor in the 2022 midterms. But Cook's saying, no, no, it's more than that. Then he believes this. I'll read more of this because it's pretty well written. It'll be tempting for weary conservatives to dismiss this information as old news or irrelevant. Tempting to downplay the enormity of what's being claimed or change the subject or attack the messengers by implying they must hate Trump and his voters. But such temptations, he says, have got to be avoided. We're not talking here about a fringe figure in the Republican tent, but a man who hopes to make support for his outlandish claims, quote, a litmus test of sorts, as he decides whom to endorse in state and federal contests 2022-2024. So, uh, Cook goes on to say that, you know, people on the right, they understand um, why Trump and many Republicans went crazy over the Russia investigation, uh, were unhappy when Hillary Clinton described the guy who beat her, who wasn't supposed to beat her, as an illegitimate president, uh, and all of that. But then here comes the real zinger here. And I, I just report this as a journalist. Um, not necessarily language that I would use, but I do have to say, you know, there is no way, and let me let Cook say it, the scale of Trump's delusion is quite startling. This is not merely an eccentric interpretation of the facts or an interesting foible, nor is it an irrelevant example of anguished post-presidency chatter. It is a rejection of reality, a rejection of law, and ultimately a rejection of the entire system of American government. There is no reinstatement clause in the United States Constitution. Hell, there is nothing even approximating a reinstatement clause. The election has been certified. Joe Biden is president. It doesn't matter what your view of Trump is. Cook says. Doesn't matter whether you voted for Trump or you voted against Trump. Doesn't matter how you view Trump's role within the GOP. We're talking here about cold, hard, neutral facts. Even if it were true, this is where it gets interesting, which it's absolutely not, but even if it were true, it could be confirmed tomorrow <laughs> that agents working for a combination of Al Qaeda, Venezuela, and George Soros had hacked into every single voting machine in the country and altered the totals by tens of millions. It would remain the case. There is no mechanism within the American legal order for a do-over of any sort. You know, it's not like the Kentucky Derby where the lead horse gets disqualified and the number two horse gets the crown. In fact, let's just say that, you know, somehow massive fraud that went undetected in all these lawsuits and Bill Barr's Justice Department couldn't find it suddenly came out. There was absolute proof. I mean, you'd have indictments. You might have an impeachment. Let's say somehow Joe Biden was although who would have nothing to do with it, was driven out of the presidency. Well, Kamala Harris would become president. And let's say she somehow was run out of office. Nancy Pelosi would become president. That's what the Constitution says about this stuff. So this is why Cook is taking it so seriously. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. Hey, you know what's getting a lot of traction, especially on the right, are the Anthony Fauci emails. And although he's done a bunch of interviews lately, and, you know, most of them have been pretty softball, 
And uh, on CNN's New Day, however, he was pressed about some friendly emails he had with a top Chinese scientist. And of course, for all the people, Donald Trump included, in fact, Donald Trump is like, now when we have Fauci's emails, you can see what a crazy guy he was, what a fool he was. And he says, the Wuhan lab leak theory, he acts like it is absolutely a fact now, but it is one that he promoted, that the mainstream media utterly dismissed, mocked, treated as Looney Tunes. So now uh, in one of his releases, Trump says, see, I was right, Fauci was wrong, and China should pay the world $10 trillion for the death and destruction it unleashed. And by the way, this kind of assumes, I mean, I guess you could say negligence if it turned out to be true. This kind of assumes that it was done on purpose as some kind of bio-warfare. Anyway, Mark Meadows, former chief of staff to President Trump, was on Fox News, and he said that uh, these emails show uh, a back channel between American and Chinese scientists that is, in his view, way too chummy. They were not really looking at COVID in a truly investigatory manner. Um, he said anyone working in the U.S. government had to put the interests of the American people first. Uh, Meadows said, I've been very consistent that we should have looked at the Wuhan lab. I can tell you it was late one night, late one evening when President Trump called me and we discovered there were taxpayer dollars going to the Wuhan lab through the NIH grant process. And he said, let's stop it, and he stopped it immediately. Okay, well, I, I don't fully understand either why the U.S. government is funding research in China. And that's a fair criticism. Um, should American tax dollars have been used? But that's separate from saying that it is true that this has happened in the Wuhan lab. Look, I think it's plausible. I think it's at least as plausible as the, you know, it was caused by a bat and jumped to a human theory. Um in one of the emails released by BuzzFeed News, BuzzFeed and the Washington Post were the ones who obtained uh, all these emails, like 800 and some pages through the Freedom of Information Act. The NIH director, Francis Collins, appeared to suggest it was a conspiracy to believe that COVID could have leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It's an April 16th email from Collins shared a link to reporting that the Wuhan lab could have been the source of the leak. It was titled, Conspiracy Gains Momentum, in the subject line. Well, that's a pretty loaded header. Fauci responded. It was pretty heavily redacted, so we don't know everything that was said. Uh, his response was redacted. Also, Fauci uh, had some back and forth with a guy named George Gao. Gao um, is the director of the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention. They didn't even have an original name. They just borrowed the U.S. name. Um, and he was taking heat, Fauci was taking heat for saying, this is like in early February of 2020, when there had been very few cases actually found in the U.S. I don't even think anybody had died at that point. When he said, well, um, we don't, he, told, he didn't even say people shouldn't wear masks. He told the then HHS secretary on this particular trip, you don't have to wear a mask. Now look, Fauci has made mistakes. He also then later sort of didn't play up mask wearing because he wanted to make sure there were enough masks. Remember, we, you know, there you know, weren't that many of these masks, especially the N95 masks in the U.S. of A. So Fauci um, held back by his account so that healthcare workers, doctors, nurses uh, would be able to get the limited supply of masks, and then obviously production would ramp up. But maybe he was wrong about masks. Maybe he was wrong about a lot of things, you know? The guy's 80 years old. He's doing the best he can. I do think a lot of these emails show him doing his job, responding to people at 2 in the morning, trying to be diplomatic, trying to juggle all kinds of multiple pressures, not trashing Trump, 
but saying he, he needs to, to speak up. And to his credit, he's been asked about it and he's talked about it on the air. Um, he's been a little defensive, as one might expect. But look, you know, this guy's been around since the Reagan administration. These are government emails. He had to know some of this uh, could come out at some point. This is not like somebody hacked into his private Gmail account. Um, but it's interesting to me because in order to, uh, and you know, you've heard me at length on the media malfeasance here in not at least taking seriously and not at least investigating and not at least dismissing as debunked or crazy fringe theory the idea that this could have emanated from the Wuhan lab. Uh, but now, look, Donald Trump um, was ripping Fauci when Fauci worked for him. Now, of course, he's the chief medical advisor to Joe Biden, but Donald Trump, you know, it was a kind of an untenable situation. They would have those briefings. Now those briefings are pretty boring. Biden hasn't been at one, as far as I know. Trump would say things. I mean, it wasn't only about hydroxychloroquine or bleach or whatever. And then a reporter would ask Fauci a question. And he would try to walk this fine line by saying, well, there isn't any evidence. But, you know, while still managing not to get himself fired. And even while, you know, Fauci was doing his job and Trump would say, you know, he's a fool. And he would always bring up that he threw a lousy first pitch at the Washington Nationals game. Uh, which he did. Fauci is a big baseball fan, and he also, I guess, was like 78 at the time, and he didn't exactly nail it. Uh, so this is a reminder of all, all that. Look, Fauci uh, is the highest paid government employee, more than $40,000. He makes more than the president. Um, but one could look at these emails and say, you know what, this is a pretty dedicated public servant. He could have retired years ago. Or you could say he made mistakes, he was inconsistent, what's he doing talking to Chinese? You know, it all depends on sort of where you come down politically. Fauci has become this sort of boogeyman for the right. Uh, I think he still has pretty high approval ratings from the American people. And at this particular moment, it's, you know, it's hard to completely trash him because, you know, COVID cases have come down 90 percent. More days go by where there's like no deaths in New York City and, and statistics like that. Vaccination rates are creeping up. Now, uh, Biden, without mentioning Trump, this was interesting the other day, uh, said, credited Operation Warp Speed for getting the vaccines going. And, you know, go back to the media coverage at the time. And I always said both Trump and Biden deserve credit. Biden had to carry it out mostly. Uh, but there were vaccines before Biden took office. He got one. Kamala got one. Um, but I, I've always said that, you know, when all the media say, no, oh, Trump's crazy. It's not going to be vaccines by the end of 2020. That's impossible. And then, you know, the federal government put a lot of money into it. The Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine were, in fact, ready before Donald Trump left office. And that did save us many, many, many crucial months when more people would have died. At the same time, then the new president comes in and he's got to find a way to convince people to take it. Set up a distribution system. It was all screwed up in the beginning. That was mostly the state's fault, but it was partially the federal government's fault. And that's where we are today. Finally, you know, some good news in June of 2021. Hey, another story that caught my eye, uh, you remember Louis DeJoy, he's the postmaster general, who gave, what, about a million bucks to uh, Donald Trump and was rewarded with that job. And it's not exactly unheard of. It's called patronage. In fact, the postmaster general's job, I think, goes back to George Washington's administration. In any event, he is now, according to people familiar with the matter, speaking to the Washington Post, under FBI investigation in connection with campaign fundraising activity involving his former business. 
So DeJoy got hammered because he came into office, started cutting the budget, cost cutting. He said, we got to cut down on overtime. The mail slowed down and Democrats accused him of trying to help Trump's re-election and the GOP because Trump was on this absolute terror against mail-in voting. And if you mailed in your ballot, and what if it didn't get delivered on time? I mean, it was a major political story. The investigation, according to this Post piece, uh, prosecutors have subpoenaed DeJoy himself for information, according to these sources, interviewed current and former employees of his um, business, asking questions about political contributions. So his spokesman, Mark Carello, confirmed the investigation, but said DeJoy had not knowingly violated any laws. That's always a narrow statement. He's always been scrupulous in his adherence to the campaign contribution laws and has never knowingly violated them. The allegation here that's being investigated is that, um, and this was reported earlier by the Post, which is why they're all over this story, is that at his company in North Carolina, New Breed Logistics, uh, employees were pressured by either DeJoy or his aides to attend political fundraisers or make contributions to Republican candidates and then were paid back through bonuses. If that were true, I'm not saying it is. That's the allegation. He's entitled to presumption of innocence. That is illegal, blatantly illegal. You can't pressure people into giving money and you certainly can't uh, repay them later through their work because that's disguising an illegal contribution. In other words, John Jones, who's you know your general counsel or your head of HR or whatever, says, you know what, I like this candidate, I'm gonna give a thousand bucks. Doesn't really want to, but got pushed into it. Then at Christmas time, look, suddenly gets an extra thousand bucks. So he's not out of any money. Uh, there's no paper trail because he attested to the fact that um, he voluntarily made this contribution. Nevertheless, uh, we'll see how that comes out. Speaking of lawsuits, Remember Katie Hill? She was the congresswoman uh, who um, ultimately had to resign, Democratic congresswoman from California, and then sued her ex-husband and two media outfits because of those nude pictures where she was with a guy and another woman. Uh, This all was a huge and rather uh, licentious political scandal at the time. So she sued. She said it was revenge porn. Her husband had leaked these photos, her ex-husband, I think which he denied. And now there's been a ruling in the case. A judge has ordered former Congresswoman Katie Hill to pay attorney's fees to the Daily Mail, the British tabloid, uh, $103,000. Now, if you know anything about lawsuits, you have to be found to have had a pretty frivolous claim in order to be uh, ordered to pay attorney's fees. Red State is the other outlet that uh, ran these photos. Um, So let's see. Um, The judge said her nude image could be published against her will. I mean, I'm just not happy about any of this. This It's pretty sleazy. Because they were a matter of public issue or public interest. Spoke to her character and qualification for her position. Well, she was under a House investigation. Uh, I mean, no one cares what she does in her private life, but... Um, one of the people she allegedly was having an affair with was a campaign aide. So that's why it became a matter of public record, and that's why um, uh, she ultimately had to resign. So now she's saying, you know, this could bankrupt me. I haven't got $100,000, and she's trying to raise money online, saying a judge just ordered me to pay the Daily Mail 
for the privilege of them publishing nude photos of me obtained from an abuser. The justice system is broken for victims. Well, I was going to close out the podcast here by not talking about the cicadas, which continue to be a scourge in the Washington area and certain other parts of the country. But I do have to note that um, a CNN anchor uh, ate one on the air to, I don't know, make the point of either about how delicious they are, uh, excuse me, or how brave she is. Uh, and uh, if that's your thing, more power to you. You can come to my neighborhood, you can get as many cicadas as you want and bake them into your pie or whatever. I will be very, very happy when the end of this invasion takes place and I will not have to see them again for 17 bleeping years. Hey, hope you have a good weekend. Media Buzz coming up, as I mentioned. You can subscribe at Apple iTunes and other places. We'll see you back here Monday with more BuzzFeed. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 